You're listening to Radio Looks Lucid. I'm your host, Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me for episode 69. The title of this episode is Thanksgiving Turkeys and the Failure of Socialism. Well, before I get uh, too far into this, just wanted to wish everyone a happy, if not belated, Thanksgiving Day. I had hoped that uh, I'd be able to do a uh, Thanksgiving Day podcast, maybe on, on Wednesday night, but I just... I just I have to admit, I, I was a slacker. I didn't feel up to it. You know, I came home Wednesday night, and, and I pretty much crashed. Uh, I was just really tired. And um, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but I slept in until 10 o'clock in the morning on, on Thanksgiving Day. And I never do that. I never have a chance to, to sleep in like that. It just felt unbelievably great. Uh, it was so nice. You know, it was kind of an overcast day. It was a little bit rainy. And... And I just, I woke up, um, I, I don't know, probably around seven or eight or so, but I just laid there. I don't know. I just played around on my phone a little bit, kind of drifted off to sleep. And it, it was just, it was so nice just to be able to relax. And it it doesn't seem like I've had a lot of chances to do that. So I'll, I apologize, but I was just really tired Wednesday night. And then, of course, Thursday came. And after eating Thanksgiving dinner and all that, I was pretty much in a food coma and uh, wasn't really up to the <laughs> up to doing much there either so so anyway that that's kind of my excuse however lame that may be for not getting out a uh, a podcast uh, or a live stream earlier earlier this week so anyway happy thanks uh, belated thanksgiving day to everybody um you know it's kind of funny thinking about uh, just sleeping in yeah you know, I, I remember as a kid i always hated taking afternoon naps you know mom oh you got to get in there and take your nap you know, this kind of thing. I don't want to go take a nap, blah, 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 blah. You know, and of course, now now that I'm an adult, now that I'm a grown-up, you know, I um, I think back about that. And of course, I, I think that I would give probably half my kingdom uh, to be able to take an afternoon nap on a regular basis, and I can't do it. So I don't know. Um, seems there's probably a lesson in there. You know, it seems like you always want what you can't have, and you can't have what you want. Um, I guess that's, uh, I, I don't know... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> must just be the the old sin nature you're always looking for things that that you can't have and uh and and wishing that you had them and then you get them and then you don't necessarily appreciate them but uh but boy I tell you this much it was sure nice to sleep in on on uh, Thanksgiving morning I really did enjoy that uh anyway um you know I wanted to, I had had an update uh, you know I mentioned last week on the uh, the Christmas light display of our neighbors you know we got we have these neighbors that uh put up these uh pretty uh a uh, pretty extensive light display it's kind of one of those those take down the power grid kind of light displays and they got this uh I mentioned this really huge uh, frosty the snowman I mean this thing is literally two stories high and it looks to me like they have it out, but for whatever reason, they the display's dark tonight, and so I, they didn't they didn't uh, put it up. I'm gonna I promise you, I'm gonna get a picture of this thing uh, sometime here in the next uh, week or so. I, I hope if they they blow that up and uh, and and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on here. I'm gonna prove it to you that this thing really is that big. I mean, it's it's just uh, it's it's crazy. Um, really, the hands down the biggest inflatable that I've ever seen. Um. Let's see what else did I have to say. A little bit of chit chat here. Oh, I, I know that there are a uh, a lot of people, a lot of Ohio State Buckeyes fans are having uh, a very bad evening this evening. Of course, I'm I'm from Ohio, and I I'm not a uh, an Ohio State fan. I went to University of Cincinnati, so I didn't go to Ohio State, so I don't have have the uh, the following that some people do. But I know a lot of people who do have a uh, uh, big Ohio State fans, and they had a brutal day today against Michigan. I think they lost. It was like what. 
what, 42 to 27. Now, if, if you know anything about college football, maybe you don't follow college football, but Ohio State-Michigan, that's one of the great rivalries in college football. And it's it's the biggest game of the year, at least uh, typically it is for, I think, for Ohio State fans. And, and of course, they were in the national championship picture this year as well. But I, I think by that loss, that probably is going to take them out of that. Um, so anyway, uh, my condolences to the Ohio State fans uh, out there who uh, have uh, uh, that's that, that's I know that's that's pretty disappointing for them. And I actually have friends who are Ohio State fans. I really do. So um, you know, I, I I hate sorry for the uh, the disappointment. You know, one thing I had hoped maybe is that. Um, that uh, University of Cincinnati and Ohio State might have a chance to go uh, head for head for the head for head head to head for the national championship uh, with the the uh, University of Cincinnati with the Bearcats. My Bearcats are still in the hunt. Now, now this is to me, and, and I've talked about this before, but I'm always blown away. I, I really am. I'm absolutely truly amazed to even speak of the University of Cincinnati and a national football title in the same sentence. That doesn't seem like that should even be possible, but it is. Uh, UC actually has a legitimate chance, a legitimate shot to win a national football title this year. Now, there's still things that need to happen, and it may not happen, but uh, to even be at this point and to talk about that to me is is really amazing. And um, I don't know. Maybe there's a lesson in there about you know things that that uh, that you think are impossible, maybe actually coming to pass. Um, so we'll have to see. But uh, anyway, my my Bearcats are still in a hunt, so I'm happy about that. Um, oh, and I guess one other thing here too. One bit of news, and I have I wasn't decided not to go into it in depth here tonight. But we've also got another surprise, surprise, another variant in the the COVID. Uh, another uh, COVID variant, this time the dread Omicron variant that we're all going to die of. And, you know, I guess we may as well just give up right now because it's just going to take over the world. Um, I did find tonight that uh, Pfizer, though, and is, is hard at work and they're going to they're going to have a, a new shot for that. So, you know, well, anyway, <laughs> that's another shot that I'm not going to take. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we're all supposed to be very much afraid, and I guess go hide in our basements here for the next month, uh, just in time for Christmas too. Isn't that great? You know, um, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about this too. But I've got a uh, a dear friend, a brother in uh, in Australia, and he was telling me how they were. Well, there was real talk about uh, maybe them coming out of lockdown here in the next couple of weeks. But he also added the caveat. He says, you know, you never know. Uh, what might happen? And I, I saw today where they were talking about, oh, there are some people that tested positive um, coming flying into Sydney um, from, I think, it was somewhere in the Middle East. And so I don't know. Who knows if uh, they're going to, you know, the, the government down there is going to freak out again and, and try to lock everybody down. I, I pray that that isn't. And I, I, I continue to pray for my friend. His name's John and, and for the, uh, the Christians, especially the Christians, but just the Australians, but the Christians, especially in Australia, because they have had some very difficult uh, things to deal with here over the past year. I mean, that has been uh, and continue to. Um, they have dealt with some of the harshest, uh, really most tyrannical lockdowns uh, of anybody in the world. And, and I, I hate to see that, and I, I pray, and it's my continued prayer, uh, that the Lord would, uh, would give them some relief. And he has given some relief. At least, uh, at least I know that, uh, that John's able to go to church 
right now, which he was not able to do for for quite some time. So uh, let's pray that uh, that that the Lord would continue to show show favor and to um, to lessen the burden, uh, continue to lessen the burden of the the lockdowns and and the tyranny that uh, that they have had to deal with in uh, in Australia. Well, I, I titled the uh, the uh, my uh, live stream, my uh, my uh, oh whatever you call this thing, a podcast. Yeah, that's what it is, a podcast. Yeah, it's a podcast. Yeah, this thing that I do every week. Yeah, this podcast. I titled it "Thanksgiving Turkeys and the Failure of Socialism," and I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, the whole thing with uh, with Thanksgiving. In, in a lot of ways, I mean, I, Thanksgiving is is maybe my favorite holiday. You know, it's it's certainly the most uh, the most Calvinist of of all of our all of our holidays. I mean, it uh, it traces uh, back to the Pilgrims, and the uh, well, let's see here. Yeah, I was just getting something here up on uh, getting uh, something up here in the video, but it, you know, it traces back to the Pilgrims, and this is actually the four hundredth year of the first Thanksgiving. The first Thanksgiving was held in November 1621. And, of course, in 2021, this is the 400th anniversary. Now, almost no one has seemed to notice this. It's uh, Nothing has been said about it. I, I don't know. I'm sure there's probably an article or two out there that's talked about this, but I haven't seen anything, you know, just watching the news or uh, just flipping through, uh, you know, the, the Internet or something. Because I haven't really seen much about this that, that actually specifically talked about it. Now, that's a big deal. It's a very big deal, but I, I think the fact that nobody said anything about it uh, really says a lot about the the cultural climate that that is in our country right now. It seems to me that uh, anything Christian, um, they're trying to banish to the outer darkness with his weeping gnashing of teeth. You know, now of course we get to hear constantly about Antifa and how awesome they are, and BLM and how awesome they are, and you know these are a bunch of uh, satanic. Uh, socialist, maybe even some people call them Marxist, uh, whatever term you care to use. Um, but these things are supposedly awesome, you know, and all the, all the corporations think they're awesome and, and they think all of the, uh, the ideas that they proffer, uh, critical race theory and what have you, that, that those things are awesome. Um, but if you're a Christian and, and you, you love the Christian heritage of the United States, and, and I think it is fair to trace uh, the beginnings of our country back to the uh, the pilgrims uh, at the uh, the colony uh, the, in the, in Plymouth, um, you know that that we have to completely ignore. We have to pass that over. So we had the 400th anniversary of the first Thanksgiving here this year in uh, 2021. Last year was the 400th anniversary of the landing of the Mayflower. Um, I can't recall the exact date. I know it was in the fall. I know it was September, October, November, something like that. Uh, in the fall of 1620. Uh, that's a big deal. That's one of the most significant anniversaries in our in our country's history, and yet it went long, it went uh, it passed almost completely unnoticed, and and that's sad. And I think that as Christians, if the uh, broader society is going to take notice of it, certainly as Christians, as American Christians, we need to point this out and talk about that. Um, I am not ashamed. Of the of the pilgrims, I am not ashamed of the Puritans, and and I'm not you know I in fact I, I'm honored to live in a country that was in part founded by them. You know, I mean they um, did so very much you know to shape what our nation has become, 
and and many of the good things that that we have here in in America uh, come from come from them. Now they weren't exclusively the only Christian group that came over. You know, I think about my ancestors. I mean, they they came over in about a hundred years later. They they weren't. Uh, I, I don't trace back to the Mayflower, but I, I did have you know ancestors in in uh, in colonial Virginia. They were Virginians. Uh, that's where the uh, my branch of the Matthews family settled was in Virginia, and they were here well before the founding of the United States of America. I, I have family, and I've talked about that before. But I had family that fought in the French Indian War under uh, under George Washington. I had family that uh, fought in the American Revolution, and I'm not ashamed of these people. I'm honored to be descended from them. You know, I don't hate my country. I don't hate my civilization. I don't hate my family. I don't hate my forefathers. And you know, I'm constantly told by you know, and not just me, but but anyone, if if you happen to share that that heritage, you know, that somehow you should be ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of it at all. Yeah, and and I'm honored to be a part of it, and I feel a a real sense of uh, of responsibility to this country. I have very deep roots here, uh, not only to maintain the liberties, uh, political, economic, civil that. Uh, that we have here have historically had in the United States, but even to enhance them, you know these and, and these things came out of the Protestant Reformation. And I've said this many times, and I continue to say it: if there's no Protestant Reformation, there is no United States of America. Uh, certainly not in, in. It would be nothing like the country you and I uh, know as the United States of America. Uh, we are blessed, greatly blessed, to live in a country that had Christian uh, founders. And it, it, has, it is the reason we have the liberties and, and even the prosperity that we have. These are blessings from God. And you know, the Thanksgiving is a day of the year, one day of the year. Of course, we, give, we can give thanks to God any day. And as Christians, we ought to give thanks to God all the time, always. And everything, give thanks, uh, is uh, what the, the Apostle Paul wrote. But uh, but you know that's a special day to get together and and to give thanks to the Lord who you know through who through whose providence the uh, the pilgrims were able to to survive in a very harsh environment in an environment where they didn't have a whole lot of support and 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 they realized that it was God's providence that brought them to the place they were and and that is something that they wanted to acknowledge as Christian people and I'm honored to be able to carry on that tradition. So anyway, I, I love Thanksgiving. I love the message behind it. I love the history behind it. And, and it's something I'm not, not only am I not remotely ashamed of, but I love it and I celebrate it. And I, I want to be able to share that uh, with others as well. Um, you know, growing up, I never in my wildest dreams ever thought that celebrating Thanksgiving would become an act of almost civil disobedience. You know, it's, you know, you're, you're shamed out of it, uh, or you're, you're tried to, uh, to be lectured out of it. I mean, I think about last year and even, uh, into this year, you know, we've been, uh, lectured by Anthony Fauci and the, uh, the Covidian cult, uh, that, uh, you know, basically we have to go hide in our basements, you know, wear masks and, you know, I, I don't know, I guess, uh, Wait on the radio for instructions from uh, from the CDC on you know <laughs> on how many guests if we even can have guests at all over for Thanksgiving. Well, you know as as much as as Fauci and and some of these other clowns pretend to have authority over the way we celebrate Thanksgiving, Anthony Fauci has zero say over Thanksgiving. 
Joe Biden has zero say over how I or any other American celebrates Thanksgiving. There's no need to listen to these people. But uh, nevertheless, you know, this year, I, I know last year and certainly into this year, I, I, I call them sort of the COVID turkeys. You know, these, these are the real Thanksgiving turkeys. You know, these people were really out there in force this year. And uh, in fact, the uh, one article I have up right now on the, uh, on the, uh, the live stream, on the video, it's an article from, from Axios, and the, the headline is, The Thanksgiving Bouncers. And uh, just read a little bit of this here, and it says, No one really wants this job, but millions of households may need their own Thanksgiving bouncer. The cover charges negative COVID test done ahead of arrival or outside the front door. And so, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, these people show up at your house, and you're going to make them test for COVID. No. Now, I, I, do, I will say this, though. I, I kind of like the idea of a, of a Thanksgiving bouncer. Um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if you show up wearing a mask, you're out of here. <laughs> We're not doing masks at Thanksgiving. Uh, if somebody sh- shows up and asks about uh, my vaccines, vaccine status or the status of somebody else, whoosh, out of here, gonzo. Um, if they go on about how much they admire Anthony Fauci, gone. Just don't even go there. You know, so yeah, maybe we need, maybe we do need a Thanksgiving bouncer, but the, the standards that I would use would not be the standards of, uh, of Axios. And actually, Axios got a lot of uh, pushback online, uh, for, for this article. And I was, I was glad to see that. Um, but of course, the uh, the COVID turkeys aren't the only Thanksgiving turkeys out there. You've also got the uh, the wokester turkeys. You've got uh, all these people that want to denigrate uh, Thanksgiving for various reasons, and they're usually political and and economic reasons. You know, they're the ones that are going out there saying, "Oh, Thanksgiving is a myth. Oh, Thanksgiving is about genocide. Oh, Thanksgiving is about white supremacy. Oh, Thanksgiving is about slavery." And I honestly, I, I get really really tired of that stuff. And I, I was actually going to go in and, and talk some about that. Um, but I, I, I wanted to talk maybe a little bit about it, but I'm not going to go on and on about this stuff because quite frankly, I'm just, I'm sick of hearing it and, and I'm sick of the nonsense and, and it's patently foolish nonsense as well. Um, Let's see here. There's one I was going to try to say, there was a tweet. Oh yeah. This is a tweet that was put out by uh, by CNBC here. Let's see if we can go find that. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, this is this is a no. I said CNBC. No, this is actually MSNBC. And and their their tweet was instead of bringing stuffing and biscuits, those settlers brought genocide and violence. Gassy Ross says about the history of American Thanksgiving that genocide and violence is still on the menu. And this was put out. Well, let's see. This was put out on uh, on November twentieth, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't right on uh, on Thanksgiving Day, but it was, of course, in the lead up to it, and it, it it was very very bad, according to these people. Well, there was no genocide and there was no violence on Thanksgiving, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment here. Um, you know, another item, another thing that you saw here. There's a headline here about. San Francisco's indigenous unThanksgiving returns full force to Alcatraz Island, and that's where uh, all these people they get together on Alcatraz Island of all places. You know, that's uh, of course the uh, the famous prison that's out there in uh, San Francisco Bay, and uh, and they get together and they celebrate this unThanksgiving. 
And I know Colin Kaepernick's been out there in the past. Of course, you know, he's the uh, the NFL quarterback that wants to go around with a, a pouty face all the time and talk about how horrible everything is. Uh, he, in fact, he just recently came out with some comment. I don't know. He's talking about how um, – I guess the NFL, you know, because he played, he was a professional football player. The NFL is all about slavery. And I mean, this is a guy that got paid millions and millions of dollars, you know, way more, far more than the vast majority of Americans could imagine ever getting paid. You know, and he's out there whining about slavery. Um, I, I think Colin Kaepernick is one of the most insufferable uh, people that I've ever seen out there in sports. And, and his act gets really old. And, and he's gone out there and he's he's done this unthanksgiving thing before. Now, you know, my my thought on all of that is if if you really want to go out and and go to Alcatraz Island and I don't know, talk about how awful everything is and how awful your life is and how awful the country is. Um well, you know, when I was a kid, people used to say it's a free country. <laughs> Interestingly, not too many people say that anymore. I guess maybe that's because it's not so much a free country anymore. Um, I guess it's kind of sort of a free country. You know, I mean, if, if somebody really wants to go out there and do that stuff, uh, yeah, be my guest. You know, I mean, I, I'm certainly not going to say they, they can't do that. I mean, it's, uh, I guess I, I, I guess I would call it, it's a free country. It sure doesn't sound like a lot of fun. And for me, you know, I'm going to, going to go ahead and stick with, uh, with Thanksgiving. Uh, here's a comment. In fact, this is from the article and this is from the San Francisco Examiner. Uh, she says, it says here that McGill hopes that people think about what the holiday, talking about Thanksgiving, really means and rethink it. The idea isn't to do away with the holiday altogether, but remove the celebration of Thanksgiving, instead retaining gratitude for the fall harvest. You know, and, and of course, you know, what does that really mean? Okay, so we, we get rid of the celebration of Thanksgiving, where, which is Thanksgiving, not just in some general sense, but uh, Thanksgiving to Almighty God. Uh, instead, give you know we're going to retain gratitude for the fall harvest. Well, gratitude for whom? Well, it doesn't it doesn't really say, but one doesn't suppose that we're talking about gratitude to the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, I guess maybe what is it to some sort of uh, pagan concept of God or to Mother Nature or to something like that? Uh, I guess um, that that seems to be the thought here, although I, I can't tell for sure. It, it doesn't really go into a lot of detail. But yeah, I mean, it's it's one of these things where you, you've got another person, another group of people that are trying to uh, do their best they can, do the best they can to try to e erase the Christian heritage uh, from the United States of America. Now, I mentioned before, you know, that you've got all of these uh, people out there, and they're trying to tell you Thanksgiving's a myth, or it's about genocide, or white supremacy, or slavery, uh, or all of these things. Uh, of course, Thanksgiving is about none of those things. It's about giving thanks to God for his, provid his providential care for his people. And in particular, that, that celebration started in 1621, uh, where you had the, the pilgrims giving thanks for a good harvest. You know, they had landed a year before, and about, about half of them had died over the winter. And so things were, things were looking pretty grim. I mean, there wasn't, you know, you, 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 you couldn't really uh, get reinforcements very easily. I mean, these people were out there on their own. I mean, it was incredibly brave of them uh, to do what they did. I, I don't, you know, I like to think that I would have the, the courage of my convictions to follow that. I, I don't know. But I mean, I, what they did was, was a remarkable thing. And and they came over to uh, to America and and they they set up shop in the fall of 1620, 
And interestingly enough, they had, it was in the spring of 1621 when they first had contact with uh, some of the, uh, the indigenous persons, some of the, the Indians that lived in, in that particular area. And it, it's kind of interesting, the account of the first contact that they had with, with any of the, the natives there. And, and this is taken from a, uh, the Bangor, Maine Historical Magazine. This is an account. This was written back in November of 1688. I'm just going to read this. And it's actually kind of funny how the pilgrims had the first contact with, uh, with, 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 with an Indian. And it says here, the pilgrims had only got fairly settled at Plymouth when on March 16th, 1621, to their great surprise, an Indian suddenly appeared to them. He walked boldly along by the houses as he went, saying, Welcome, Englishmen! Welcome, Englishmen! He was a tall, straight man with black hair, long behind and short before, and none on his face. He had a bow and arrows. He was naked with only a leather about his waist. The weather was very cold, and they threw a cloak over him. He asked for beer, and was given strong water, biscuit, butter, cheese, and pudding, all of which he enjoyed. So, so here's this fellow. Um, pops out of the woods one day in March of 1621, speaking English, uh, and, and uh, walk, saying, welcome, Englishman, and he asked for a beer. <laughs> and, and, and that's how they, they got started. The, the name of the fellow, his name was Samoset. And he told them, uh, apparently he had learned to speak English from some fishermen that uh, had frequented the area. And he also told them about a uh, another fellow who spoke better English than he did, uh, and his name was Squanto. And of course, Squanto was a tremendous help uh, to the pilgrims that year, uh, that planting season. He helped them, showed them where to, uh, how to, the best way to plant corn. He uh, showed them as as far as uh, where to fish, and this type of thing. And it was in the fall then of of that year of 1621 that the first thanksgiving was celebrated and and the the pilgrims were giving thanks to god for his providence and and he providentially provided them through the help of of samoset and the the help of squanto and and they celebrated the the first thanksgiving there in the fall of 1621 with the wampanoag uh, indian tribe and, you know, it's kind of interesting. You hear all this stuff from all these wokesters about how terrible and genocidal and, you know, all this other stuff that the the first Thanksgiving was. And if you look at the historical records of it, uh, it was not a myth. It, it was a real event. I mean, it's, it's very well documented. And in fact, it's, it's almost a model of the kind of tolerance that the wokesters uh, want you to, you know, that they're always preaching. I mean, you could hardly find a more disparate group than a bunch of of English Puritans and uh, uh, and, and the Native Indians. You, you you could hardly find people that would be more different. Yeah, instead of getting together and, and killing one another, uh, they actually sat down and shared a common meal. And and I, I think that's actually quite remarkable. And and it shows you, you know, that 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 God provides. And and you know and I don't know how many of these people actually came you know maybe of of the uh, the Indians actually came to know Christ. Uh, Squanto apparently was a uh, was a Christian. He had spent considerable time uh, in uh, in England, and I, I think even in uh, maybe Spain. But uh, but some some of the comments, some of the quotes that I read from him, 
uh, he apparently was was a believer, um, quite uh, quite interestingly. So, um, you know, God was at work, and in God, not only within the the Puritan community, but also in the people that they met. And so, I mean, this is the type of thing. Like I say, we're always lectured about how important it is to oh, we we've got to have you know tolerance and diversity and these kinds of things. Well, you had it right there, the very first Thanksgiving. You know, it, it's quite a remarkable event. But you know, of course, the the wokester and you know, the critical race theory types they they don't want to see that sort of thing. You know, what they do want to do is they want to sit here and denounce uh, denounce the pilgrims as as being very horrible people. Now. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the history of the, the pilgrims was perfect or that the history of this country was perfect. Obviously, it isn't. But one of the, the problems, and, and this kind of goes back to not only the way Thanksgiving is framed by the, uh, the wokester critical race theory types, but also any time any discussion is had um, about issues relating to, to race, and that is that Critical race theory, it's kind of a perversion of Christianity. You know, in Christianity, what we do is we talk about in, in Adam, the whole human race fell. Well, in this sort of secular kind of Marxist-y sort of uh, critical race theory that, that has developed, there is a, a sort of uh, perverted version of that in which only white people are fallen and everybody else in the world is, is pure and perfect. And so it, it, it's only the, the white pilgrims are very, very bad. Everything they did, said, thought was, was very, very bad. And, and everything that the Wampanoag or any of the other tribes that they met was all very, very good and perfect. And this is, is the way this is presented. And of course, that's bogus because you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody without sin out there. If we, if we say we have no sin, we lie and deceive ourselves. That's what the Apostle John wrote. Uh, so were the, were the pilgrim sinners? Well, yes, they were. And some of them were saved sinners. Maybe they all were. I don't know. Uh, certainly some of them were. And, you know, were the, the Wampanoag, were they sinners? Yes, they were. And, and maybe some of them were saved as well. I don't know. But there's, you know, there's this, this attempt to put all the burden for all the world's problems on these, uh, these people who were, in many ways, the Christian founders uh, of the United States of America. And it was interesting, I was listening to Chris Pinto today, and, and that was one of the things he talked about. I mean, there's a great deal of, of anti-white racism out there. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm really stunned by it. I guess I shouldn't be at this point, but I, uh, it, it is a bit stunning. I mean, for instance, some of the comments you heard in the wake of the, the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, verdict when he was uh, was found not guilty of the uh, the five counts that he was facing, and there was all of this stuff about white supremacy, this and racist that, and, and of course it was all directed to Kyle Rittenhouse, generally, uh, particularly, and, and to to white people in general, and you know I think one of the things that, that Chris Pinto mentioned, and I think he's really right about this, is what they're really attacking ultimately in all of this is they're really attacking Christianity. And I do believe that um, that that ultimately is is the primary target. And I mean, when you read through all of these comments on uh, uh, going after Thanksgiving, I mean, they're trying to strip out any Christian idea 
behind Thanksgiving. And you can see that in that article there in, uh, in the, the uh, San Francisco Examiner, where it talked about, oh, well, we're going to celebrate the holiday, but we're just going to get rid of the Thanksgiving part. And we're going to, I don't know, how did she get it off? Uh, we're going to retain gratitude for the fall harvest. And gratitude to whom, she doesn't really say. Uh, but we're, we want to get rid of that whole Christian thing. And and they they want to sort of cast that behind behind their back, and that really does seem to be what's going on here. Uh, so let's see here. I had a few other things. Oh yeah, there's one other thing um, I did want to bring up here, and that is one other thing I, I mentioned. You know, the the title of this is Thanksgiving Turkeys uh, and the Failure of Socialism. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about that because there's one very interesting account that comes out of the the early uh, experience of the pilgrims. Now, this wasn't going on, this actually, the the change I'm going to talk about here actually didn't take place until 1623. Um, So it wasn't dealing with the first Thanksgiving, but it was dealing early on with one of the experiences with, uh, with, the, uh, with the pilgrims. And that had to do with the failure of socialism in the, uh, in the Plymouth colony and the, the success of, uh, of capitalism. And there was a, uh, a, a piece that I found here and this actually dates back to some for, from Forbes magazine. It dates back to 2008, but it's it's actually still uh, still quite a good uh, quite a good summary. And this uh, this the the title of it's called "Lessons from a Capitalist Thanksgiving" by Jerry uh, Bowyer, uh, who himself uh, was an economist. And he writes here: "It's astonishing and a little horrifying that America's elites know so little about their country's history." Case in point: Jared Bernstein of the Economic Policy Institute. Jared is an influential leftish economic polemicist and sometime advisor to Barack Obama on economic affairs. I debated with Jared dozens of times over the past several years, but what happened this week was especially disturbing. I explained that the first Thanksgiving was a celebration of abundance after a period of socialism and starvation. It seems Bernstein never heard about this chapter of U.S. history. He called it an exercise in revisionist history. Admitting that he never read the memoirs of Plymouth Governor William Bradford, he nevertheless dismissed the story as untrue. Uh, but the facts are undeniable, and there's nothing to revise. Bradford's historical account, which I quote below, uh, had been read by schoolchildren for over 300 years. And he continues here. He says, The members of the Plymouth Colony had arrived in the New World with a plan for collective property ownership. Reflecting the current opinion of the aristocratic aristocratic class of the 1620s, their charter called for farmland to be worked communally and for the harvest to be shared. And he quotes here from Bradford, uh, quote, the strong uh, or man of parts had no more in division of victuals and clothes than he was, uh, uh, than he that was weak and not able to do a quarter the other could. This was thought injustice, end quote. And so uh, Bowyer continues here. He says, You probably will not be surprised to hear that the colonists starved. Men were unwilling to work to feed someone else's children. Women were unwilling to cook for other women's husbands. Fields lay largely untilled and unplanted. And he continues here, quote, this is from Bradford, quote, And for men's wives to be commanded to do service for other men as dressing their meat, washing their clothes, etc., they deemed it a kind of slavery. Neither could many husbands well brook it. End quote. And... Uh, 
Bowyer continues, famine came as soon as they ate through their provisions. After famine came plague, half the colony died. Unlike most socialists, they learned from their mistakes, giving each person a parcel of land to tend for themselves. And he again quotes uh, Bradford. At length, after much debate of things, the governor gave way that they should set corn every man for his own particular, and in that regard trust to themselves, and so assign to every family a parcel of land according to the proportion of their numbers number for that end. And then says Bowyer, the results were overwhelmingly beneficial. Men worked hard, even though they had constantly pleaded illness. Fields were not only tilled and planted, but also diligently harvested. Colonists traded with the surrounding Indian nation and learned to plant maize, squash, and pumpkin, and to rotate these crops from year to year. The harvest was bountiful, and new colonists immigrated to a thriving settlement. And so it's interesting here, too. This is especially interesting uh, uh, statement. Now I'm going to read here Bowyer, and then he's, he's going to cite uh, Bradford. This is Bowyer here to begin with. The colonists threw off the status intellectual fashions of their day. They concluded the ancient principles of private property as recorded in the Ten Commandments were superior to the utopian speculations of Plato and his 17th century imitators. Human nature was a fact of life, self-centered, fallen. No cadre of elite philosopher kings could change the cold facts of reality. Then here's the quote from, uh, the relevant quote from uh, Bradford. Quote, The experience was, uh, was had in this common course and condition may well evince the vanity of that conceit of Plato's, and that the taking away of property would make them happy and flourishing as if they were wiser than God. End quote. So, you know, the, uh, apparently the aristocrats in the 17th century at that, that time in the 17th century were really uh, taking their economics from Plato and they weren't taking their economics from the scriptures. And that's one of the really important lessons that, that as Christians we need not only to learn ourselves, but uh, also to teach as well. And I think about uh, reading some of the uh, the work of, of Gordon Clark or the, the work of John Robbins, the work of the Trinity Foundation. You know, one of the things that John Robbins very often talked about is, is he had a saying, he would say that the Bible has a systematic monopoly on truth. Um, that is one of the, maybe a, the basic statement or summary of scripturalism. That uh, that's a philosophy developed by Gordon Clark and and named and and refined and and extended by by John Robbins. It's the idea that the Bible has a monopoly on truth. You know, so oftentimes, you know, and and I've certainly made this mistake, and I, I think certainly many Christians have as well, and and continue to, is that we have this idea that somehow the Bible is limited to talking about you know God and Jesus and and how to get saved and and uh it's it's effective only on on Sunday morning Joe you know, and Sunday school and and maybe in church between the hours of of 11 and 12 now the bible certainly is about God and it's about Jesus and it's about how to get saved it certainly is about all those things you know we talk about the gospel of justification by faith alone and you know that that's how uh, anyone comes into uh, anyone is saved. Anyone is brought into a, a re- right relationship with God. It's by God's grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. It's not by anything that we do. And and you know, praise God that that's the case. And and it's it's a wonderful thing to be able to talk about on a Sunday. But 
what happens where we go wrong is, is not in saying that the Bible is about those things, but we think very often that the Bible is only about those things. And the fact of the matter is, the Bible is a, a complete view. It's a complete system of thought. And that system of thought includes things such as politics. It includes things such as economics. You know, and if we're to think as Christians, you know, we have to get our economics not from Plato or Aristotle or uh, any other pagan thinker. We have to get our, our economics from the scriptures, from the Bible, from the 66 books uh, of the Bible. You know, the Bible alone is the word of God. You know, that, that's another way of, of talking about uh, sola scriptura or by scripture alone. You know, and as, as Christians, that's where we have to get our, our ideas about politics. Now, that doesn't mean that other people outside of the Bible can't be right, but you can't know that they're right unless you come back and you compare their writings to the scriptures. That's what uh, Martin Luther talked about. He called that the, the, the writing principle or the, or the, the Prinzip, uh, if you want to say it in German. This idea that we have to bring all ideas back to the scripture and compare them to scripture and, and uh, find out whether the scripture approves them or not. Now, one of the important things, one of the important takeaways that we can get out of the Bible from economics is that everywhere throughout Scripture is it supports um, private property and condemns socialism. You know, then there, there are many, many examples of this in Scripture, and I'm just going to mention a few here uh, just by way of example. I mean, this is certainly not limited to it, and I'm not going to go into a great deal of depth at this point. Maybe that's something we can do another time. But think about the Eighth Commandment, you know, thou shalt not steal. Um, that acknowledges that there is such a thing as private property because you can't have theft unless you have private property. Think about what, what Jesus said. It was the parable, I think, of the workers in the vineyard, it's called. And, and when the, you know, he, uh, he uh, hired some men early, this is a vineyard owner, you know, he hired some men early in the day and he, you know, they said, oh, he'll, I'll pay you such and such an amount. And he hired some other people later in the day and, and some guys he hired and they only worked about an hour. And then at the end of the day, he gave the guys that only worked an hour uh, the same amount as the, uh, the people that he hired um, and they worked a the whole day and they came and they grumbled about it and they said, wow, you know, this isn't fair, blah, blah, blah. And, and the, the owner of the vineyard replied to him, he said, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Well, yes, it is. I mean, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes, it is lawful for you to do that. Now, that is a, a statement of, of private property. That's a defense of private property. Or you think about when, uh, when Ananias, you know, came and he you know, claimed to have sold a field for such and such, and he gave this money to Peter, and Peter rebuked him for this. And when Peter was rebuking him, he said, you know, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? So he's, I mean, Peter's acknowledging that that field and, and that the money that uh, resulted from the sale of that field, that belonged properly to Ananias. You know, he's acknowledging this was your stuff. You, you own this, and you had a right to do with it uh, what you wanted. You know, the, the sin of Ananias was in misrepresenting his gift. You know, he came and tried to say, oh, you know, this is, is the full amount for which we sold the field, you know, when actually he was keeping back a part of it. Now, he had a right to do that. He had a right to keep back a part of it because it was his. You know, and Peter acknowledges that. His sin was the fact that he misrepresented the sum that he was giving to saying, oh, yeah, this is, this is the whole price of the field. I, went, I, we, I sold this field, and, and here's the full proceeds from it. And I guess maybe he was trying to make himself look better 
to uh, to God and also maybe to other people in the in the congregation. And, and uh, Peter um, uh, called out his sin. I think it's interesting too, you know, that the same people that want to uh, denounce Thanksgiving as a very horrible thing and, uh, and say all these terrible things about it, these are also the same people that want to push socialism. You know, they want centralized control in place of individual liberty. You know, they want uh, state ownership in place of free markets. You know, and, and that's tyranny. I mean, these people are calling for tyranny. Don't let them take away the Christian heritage of this nation. You know, you and I as, as Christians, I mean, I just maybe just to exhort, you know, my, my fellow believers, and I'm talking here especially to those people who are, uh, have a Reformed background. You know, this country was founded by Calvinists. And, you know, you and I have a special calling to stand up and to speak out, you know, to rebuke people when they talk about error, when they speak error, you know, whether it's error in misrepresenting history, uh, whether it's error in misrepresenting um, or, or teaching error in terms of politics. You know, they keep wanting to, they, they love big government. Well, the Bible doesn't teach big government. The Bible teaches limited government. You know, as as Christians, you know, we're not we're not big government types. Uh, we're not anarchists either. Um, you know, you, you've got people on two extremes there. You've got people that that uh, you know they they love government managing every single detail of of their lives, and there's other people. You know, I think of maybe some at least some libertarians. You know, they call themselves anarcho capitalists. Yeah, I think of maybe somebody like maybe Murray Rothbard, for example. You know, I mean, to him, he would say things like all taxation is theft, or you know, the the government. You know that the idea of the state itself uh, was was somehow wrong, and that's not a Christian idea either. I mean, civil government is legitimate; it's a creation of God as a partial punishment, as a punishment, and also as a partial cure for sin. Now, if you know, had had Adam not fallen, and we wouldn't need civil government, but right now in in the uh, the estate in which we find ourselves, even as saved individuals, uh, even those of us who are saved. Who know the Lord Jesus Christ, um, you know, we still have to deal with sin, and we still need to have uh, some sort of a civil government. Uh, but that civil government is not all powerful. That civil government has its its ministerial. It's not magisterial. You know, it's been assigned certain powers. Uh, principally, it's been assigned the uh, the power of the sword to punish those who practice evil, and also to praise those uh, that that do good. Praise the good. You know, that is to pass laws that that support. Uh, people doing the right thing, um, but you know the 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 government is limited. You know it, it doesn't have the uh, the ability to to run all of our lives. You know, and, and Paul says, you know, this is why you pay taxes. So I mean, all taxation is not theft. Some taxation is approved by God. Um, so we're not anarchists, uh, but we're not uh, totalitarians either. You know, we believe in limited government, uh, constitutional government, and and these are things that were, of course, established later on. You know, well after the Pilgrims. I mean, the well after the first Thanksgiving. You know, it was what uh, you know, 150, 160 years later or so, approximately. Um, you know, bef- before the U.S. Constitution was actually written down, but but the ideas that brought that about. Those were brought over with the pilgrims way back in in sixteen twenty 
And, and, you know, they quickly realized within a few years of being in, in America, uh, the folly of socialism and the importance of private property, the importance of, uh, of capitalism, the importance of free markets. Uh, and it's because of their Christian heritage, because of their Christian understanding uh, of the scriptures. Uh, you know, John Bradford made that point, or William Bradford, excuse me, you know, he made that point. He talked about the experience that was at hand in this common course and condition may well evince the vanity of that conceit of Plato's, and that the taking away of property would make them happy and flourishing as if they were wiser than God. You know, he realized, you know, the you know that that it's it's folly to induce uh, introduce a system of economics that runs contrary to scripture and I, and I'm glad that he did you know he, they you know the uh, the pilgrims admitted their error and they corrected it you know thank god i mean that's what we should all do right i mean because we all make mistakes we all sin uh, but we need to be able to repent we need to be teachable you know, so that's something else that we can take away from the pilgrims you know they were teachable they learned you know, they learned from the Word of God. You know, they, they, they realized they were running into problems, and, and they, they realized that, that the Word of God offered truth and, and not Plato. So anyway, that's just a little, uh, little uh, I guess, get on my soapbox there about economics. One of my favorite topics. So I, I, uh, I did want to talk about that. Uh, as well. So anyway, that's uh, about all I have for this week. I just wanted to say thanks to everybody for uh, watching on the live stream. Thanks uh, also for those of you listening to, to the podcast as well. I always enjoy doing this. And until next time we talk, may the spirit of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's word. <laughs>